Hi, this is Cam with the Nerd Book Review, and tonight we are going to be interviewing author J.A. Andrews. She is an author who has a little bit different writing style from much of what I have reviewed so far, so I am excited to speak with her tonight. We'll get right to the interview in just a moment. You can reach us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Twitter with the user handle nerdbookreview, and on Facebook at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash nerdbookreview. We would also absolutely love it if you could give us a rating on iTunes. That is absolutely vital to getting our name out there and getting our podcast listened to by more people. Thank you to everyone who has done that so far. Let's get right to the interview. The Nerdbook Review is happy to welcome J.A. Andrews, author of A Thread of Shadows, the first book in the Keeper Chronicles, which is currently a semi-finalist in the Spiffo 2017, and A Keeper's Tale, the story of Tompkin and the Dragon, which was a finalist for this year's BookNest.eu in the self-published fantasy category. Welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? Hey, I'm doing just fine. Uh, I had some stupid uh, technical issues on my side. (laughs) Thank you for your patience. No problem. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself. On your website, your bio says that you are a wife, a mother, and an unemployed rocket scientist. Uh, yes, I, it's true. I, my, uh, my degree is in aerospace engineering. So, um, I have never worked a day in rocket science. Uh, <laughs> my, I wanted to do engineering in college and, uh, the aeronautics program was just way cooler. Like designing spaceships was so much cooler than designing bridges or something like that. <laughs> uh, so I did it and, um, yeah, there's not a lot of jobs in building spaceships actually. So, uh, I didn't, I did do some engineering when I got out of college for, I don't know, probably about eight years, probably telecommunication stuff, uh, found it incredibly boring. Um, and then at that point we had kids and, um, we had moved to a really small town in Missouri where there was, uh, really no professional jobs (laughs) period. So, uh, I stayed at home with the kids, which I was excited to do anyway. Uh, if we'd lived somewhere where there were engineering jobs, I probably would have felt sort of conflicted about what to do, but it made my decision pretty easy. Uh, yeah. And we homeschool our kids too. So I'm still home. My oldest is 11 and I have an eight year old and a six year old. Uh, but yeah, I have fun. We, they're really great kids and they're, they're pretty nerdy like me. So they're they're pretty excited about school on the whole. And it's a pretty great job actually. (laughs) Well, that's really cool. You know, I actually have my teaching degree. I taught uh, social studies one year and that was enough for me. (laughs) So good for you. And uh, now though, you are uh, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, right? Well, we were until really recently for the last four years about, we lived, um, yeah, pretty deep in the Rocky mountains in Northern Northwestern Montana, uh, about 10 minutes outside of a small town of about a thousand people. Uh, it was really, it was really out there. It was so fun. We loved it. Actually, the, um, my husband and I both grew up in Denver and went to college in Chicago. We, We just lived in big cities our whole lives. And, um, he had a chance to take a job way out in the mountains of Montana. And we'd sort of always thought that'd be so cool. And we did, we loved it. It was so great. 
but again, there's there's not a ton of work out in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> so yeah, yeah it's understandable. Yeah. yeah, so when my husband's job moved, we moved. Uh, we live near the mountains now. We're not quite in them, but we're we're close, and hopefully someday get back into them. <laughs> yeah, I actually was born in uh, Canada. In we were sixty miles from the nearest town. So luckily, I think for me, luckily, we moved when I was still pretty young because I'm a pretty sociable person, you know, and I, I don't think being out in the middle of nowhere on a ranch would have been quite my cup of tea. But <laughs> I think, uh, you know, my parents enjoyed it while they were while they were doing it, you know, and, and they were they were ranchers. So I think when you can find something to do out there, it's just so so but it was just so fun living in the forest. it felt like camping, you know, every day there were just pine trees and baby deer born on the property and just it was just our yard was mostly wooded, so they just go outside, and there it was. It was sticks and trees were their forts. They had all these different forts in the forest that they named very creatively. There was Fort <laughs> A and Fort B, and um, but I just they had so much fun. They were just dirty a lot, and yeah, it was yeah. really good. They they miss it actually, oh. but well, that's cool though, and. So you said that you were nerdy as a kid as well, and you and your husband. Were you a big reader when you were a child? Yes, super huge reader. Um, I was one of four kids, and um, I'm the third of four kids. And so my older two siblings got to do stuff like sports or instruments. I don't know, whatever they want to do. But by the time I got old enough to do all of it, my mom was like, I can't carry, take you all everywhere. So we're done. So uh, I never <laughs> oh, no. did sports or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I read a ton. Um, my my mom's a teacher. My whole family growing up were just really big readers. So um, yeah, I started reading fantasy just really early, well, like in the late 80s. So also good old classic fantasy novels. Oh, yeah. What uh, what were some of your your favorite books as a, as a youngster? <laughs> uh, my first just super favorite was the Belgariad, David Eddings. Um, I must have read them, I don't know, five times through high school or junior high. I don't even know when I started them. Um, but I just love them. And I read Terry Brooks and the Shannara Chronicles and the Dragonlance and, um, you know, just sort of voracious. I, I read them, so many of them and so fast, they all kind of blurred together. If I didn't, if I haven't read them again, as an adult, <laughs> I I get really confused about who goes in which book and how it all played out. But uh, yeah, we just back in the days when you took your babysitting money to the bookstore in the mall and picked out your book for the week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's super cool. Yeah, I was always a, a big reader myself. I think for me, uh, the Redwall series is is one that I'm really excited that I started with, and that I'm really excited to be able to here in a few years, get into with my son as well. I don't know if, you, if you've ever read any of those before. I have not. Who's the author? Uh, Brian, I think it's Jacques. Uh, I think that's how you say it. It's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. He was a, a French-Canadian. And basically, they're, uh, they're animals that, I guess, are... Like, there's a Martin the Mouse. He's a, a warrior mouse. And, uh, like there's badgers you, the the villains are like the weasels and the rats and things like you'd expect them to be yeah <laughs> anyways there that's what i grew up on as a as a younger child and that's what i'm kind of looking forward to to being able to read with my son i know it's really fun my um oldest who's 11 he's a huge reader too and just uh this last month for a reading challenge i gave him the first of the bilgariad books and i was like i think you're old enough to 
read this one like, you know, it's, it's pretty long, way longer than anything else he's read, I think. Um, yeah, but he loved it. And I was so excited because I thought like, what if he hates the book I loved when I was younger? <laughs> but he loves it, so... Yeah, that's actually one thing with the the Redwall series. They're like between three and five hundred pages as well, and I think that was one thing that he, the author, specifically said. You know what? Kids need to read a real book. They don't need to read something that's fifty pages long, and if you know, they need to get into things like that. Absolutely. So many of the books, um, even some of the series that my kids just love, they're short and. Um, the pages are either full of pictures or they're half handwritten, you know, like they have all this outrageous sort of text and drawings and stuff and they're hilarious and my kids love them, but it, it's, you know, they're very short. I mean, they'll read them in an hour and be done. And I think that's not, I want something longer and meatier that you need to remember for a few days at a time, at least, you know, till you get through it. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get into writing yourself then? So I loved reading, but I was also, you know, nerdy, good in school. And so... Being a girl, everyone's like, you should do science because you're good at science. And, you know, that's like super cool. And so I was like, okay. And um, my dad was an engineer. And so I just sort of fell into this, you know, I sh- I'll, I'll do engineering. And I liked it. I like science. I like math. I, I did it and it was fun. But I think feel like somewhere along the line, I decided that if I was going to do science things, then even though I had this idea that I liked writing, somehow the two were sort of incompatible. So I did engineering school and I worked as an engineer and blah, blah, blah. And just years later, um, after starting to stay home with the kids, you know, I just realized I remembered again, like, I actually do love writing. And I did a started a blog, you know, just funny things my kids did, you know, nothing really very profound, but um, I was having so much fun with it. And then my husband actually left town for a month. He had this course um, in Pennsylvania for a month and he was super bored. This was (laughs) long enough ago. We had cell phones, I think, but nothing, there was no iPads. We didn't have laptops. We were were poor. We didn't have anything. So um, he was so bored every day. So he he had some way to get on a computer. So I I decided I was going to start emailing him a scene of a story every day. And so when he got home from his long day, he could have like something to read. And so my entire goal was to like write a short scene that somehow ended on like a some kind of exciting note. So he would be like, that was awesome. And that actually is the first probably like 10 chapters of my Thread of Shadows book um, started from that. It's mutated a lot since those first <laughs> drafts. But um, yeah, I had so much fun writing a whole bunch of chapters for him. And then he came back home and life went on and I forgot about the book altogether for years. Um, until I just kept thinking like, I like those characters and I liked where that was going. And so probably three years ago is when I, three or four years ago is when I actually sort of heard about the whole indie author phenomenon going on. Um, And the whole traditional route had always just seemed so intimidating to me and so long, the trying to find an agent, trying to find a publisher, and then waiting the year and a half after that till the book is published and hoping it goes well. And Um, so when I learned that people were actually writing as indie authors and getting their books out there and finding audiences, even if it's a small audience, I just thought that is so cool. I totally want to do that. So, uh, I got a little serious at that point and started learning, like, how do I turn these 10 chapters into the beginning of an actual book and what on earth goes into writing a book and totally geeked out on story structure and things like that. And yeah. So it took a long time to get it in shape, but 
that one I published in 2016 in the summer. So, oh man, I you know what? If literally for nothing else for this interview, I am happy that we did this just to hear that. That is <laughs> that's like the coolest story ever for a re- <laughs> for a way you started writing. I mean, writing those you know chapters for your husband. I mean, that alone, I think, has just made this interview for me, just hearing that story. <laughs> oh, good. It was really cool because once I, so then I decided, you know, ah, oh, I'm going to be a serious author. I'm going to, I'm going to write this book. And suddenly, like, the whole book felt like dry and boring in my head, you know, because I was like trying so hard. And then I don't remember even who said it to me. Might have even been my husband. It was like, well, what made the first chapters good? And I was like, well, I was writing to entertain you. And I was like, oh my gosh. I need to write to entertain you. <laughs> so, right, you know, that just that mind shift. And suddenly I like, you know, I had a reason again for how to write and what to write and what kind of things I thought, you know, I wanted to bring out in the story and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's it. So my dedication at the front of it says something like, you know, this book was always for you. And it really was like that was sort of the driving force behind it that would be a book to entertain my husband. <laughs> Well, that, that's absolutely awesome. I, I was, I mean, you know, everyone has to have their reason for inspiration, and I don't think there are too many better reasons than to just to entertain uh, your family. Yeah. Your stories, I, I actually had never heard this term before, but I guess it makes pretty perfect sense, is that the books would be considered kind of, uh, I guess, noble bright, basically the opposite of grimdark. <laughs> which is so in vogue right now and is admittedly most of what I read and, and most of the people I've talked to on my podcast. So how did you go about writing that style? Was it a conscious decision you made or was that just what happened? Uh, no, it wasn't conscious at all. I think, um, again, I read all that fantasy like back in the late 80s and early 90s um, and that none of that's grimdark. You know, it's all... Um, it's all it's all full of all those tropes, you know, that the the farm boy who joins the group of, you know, adventurers and ends up being the secret king with his magic sword, you know, who takes over the land. Um, like you mean uh, Wheel of Time <laughs> is a perfect example of the, the, the farm boy himself. <laughs> yeah, right. There's always always <laughs> a farm boy. And so I just sort of grew up on all that. And then and then I had college and work and babies. And I just like there was no reading that happened for years, right? And then, uh, so when I started writing, Game of Thrones had been out and stuff, and so I'd start writing, and people would say, what are you writing? And I'd say, fantasy. And they'd be like, oh, like Game of Thrones. And I was like, no. And <laughs> they're like, well, how is it different? And I, and, I, and I just struggled to figure out how it was different, and so I'd be like, it's happier. And they'd say, oh, what's it about? And so I'd be like, well, there's this guy, and his wife is dying, and he feels really guilty about that because he can't save her. <laughs> and they were like, yeah, that's really happy sounding. <laughs> and so I was just, and I thought, it's, it didn't sound happy. And so I was, then I learned the term grimdark, you know, which I would say Game of Thrones is. Um, oh, yeah, I, I think that it is as well. And it, game and grimdark is another one of those terms that's really hard to really pin down. But uh, so then I just knew I didn't write that. So then I'd be like, I write not grimdark fantasy. So when I heard this term noble bright, there's an author, um, CJ Brightly, and she has put a lot of effort into sort of getting this word known because she writes similar to me. And there's a lot of authors that do, but we didn't have a word for it, which makes it really hard to search for or to talk to people about. Um, because yeah, there's just so much 
grimdark out there and a lot of it's really great stories and um, but it just doesn't fit uh, the same sort of books and so when I heard about that I was like oh tell me what this means uh, and and I feel like the word noble bright is a little too cheerful <laughs> for uh, for what it is and maybe the grimdark people think grimdark is too dark of a word I mean it's not like <laughs> people mope all the way through those books being grim all the time um, true <laughs> but I think what it comes down to, to me, like if you take Game of Thrones as an example, um, you know, I'm really, I'm rooting for Jon Snow to get the Iron Throne. Um, but if he does, uh, maybe there'll be this like short season of peace and prosperity and all the happiness, but somebody's going to come and like poison his entire family and take back over. Like there's the, the world itself is not the good the good characters in it they're they're not ever going to like really alter the world if that makes sense that the world itself is sort of a grim place and they can make sort of strides against that but there's just no chance to do this huge affecting the world um thing and if you take something even something as well known as lord of the rings i would say that's got a different at that basis it's just different frodo has this ring and he's trying to go destroy this huge powerful Sauron who's going to destroy everything and take over again and of course it seems like you know little Frodo has no chance but the whole time through that story no reader ever has been like Frodo's probably going to die <laughs> no that's true Sauron's going to win and Gandalf is going to turn evil and that's how it's going to end you know there was this uh sort of the, I don't even know what the word is, a worldview or a mindset <clears throat> that goes into there that there's a chance that the good people are going to like actually affect the world in a more permanent way, that there's a chance that this is going to end well. So I feel like that's sort of the difference. I, I feel like some people try and break it down with like more of a tone that like a noble bright story has to be like cheerful and happy and skippy and no major problems happen or something like that. And I don't think that's what it is, but I feel like there's this bit of like hope that somehow the world can be fixed <laughs> a little bit, you know, in whatever way the hero of the story is actually trying to do it. Yeah. And, and you have a, a couple characters, I think, with, is it Ada, Ida? How do you say it? I say Ada. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're the author. So Ada <laughs> and Millie, they, they seem to have a pretty positive outlook on life as well in general. And well, Alaric might, I mean, he's, you know, he's trying to save his wife, and so he's, and he feels pretty bad about some of the things he's done. He's still a, a good person at heart who is trying to, to help his wife. And along the way, he thinks, you know, that he ends up helping the queen and the people out because he is just a good person at heart. And I understand where you're, what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's go ahead and actually start talking about your books then. Um, I have not read the story of Tomkin and the Dragon, so could you just talk about that a little bit? That's the one that was nominated for the Book Nest, correct? Yes, that one was. Um, yeah, that was exciting. I didn't know. Um, I didn't even really know that competition was going on. So yeah, it was nominated for their best indie published novel. I think was the yeah. category. Yep. Um, yeah, and it made a semi-finalist in that contest. And no, then, I think it was a finalist. Yes, a finalist, I guess. Yeah, there I was going to say, I was like, yeah, I think it was in the, last, in the last 10. I know. I was like, 
give me the sword. You, the winner won a sword. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did not win the sword. I think Ben Galley won it. He did, won. yes. Art of Stone, something, yeah. Um, there were so many books in that list, though, that just get the most amazing reviews. So I'm totally good with not winning. They were really great books that were there. Um, yeah. And I think Ben Galley was a bit surprised that he was the winner as well. There, there are some a, a couple of people that were on there, like Rob Hayes, for example, who you know had a traditional publishing contract before, and so <laughs> there were some big name people that you were on the list with. Yeah, I, I know all these books. When I saw the list, I was like, man, every single one of those books is on my to read list because I've seen such good reviews of all of them. So yeah, it was pretty cool. I was pretty excited. I like screenshotted it. I was like, look at me <laughs> right there. <laughs> As you should. I definitely would if it was me. (laughs) Totally. Um, So yeah, A Keeper's Tale. It's this, um, it's actually a pretty short novel. It's a second one I wrote. I wrote um, A Thread of Shadows first. And my main character in A Thread of Shadows, Alaric, he's a keeper. And um, they, it's this really small group. They're all men at the moment, but they're they're not always all men. There's just not very many of them at the moment. And they happen to all be men. And they, uh, they can do magic, but they also are like historians. They keep history and myths and stories from the from their land, and uh, they're, they practice storytelling a lot. So when they travel around, they spend a lot of time telling stories because they think it's so important for people not to forget stories. Um, and throughout that book, several times it comes up this like, this story called Tompkin and the Dragon that all these people seem to really like. And so when I finished The Thread of Shadows, I thought, you know. I wonder what a Tompkin and the Dragon's even about. <laughs> I don't know. And so um, so I ended up just writing out the, that story. And it's kind of framed with a, there's a keeper who's telling that story to a, a inn full of people. Um, so it's it's mostly a, just sort of this fun adventure. The Tompkin is really bookish and he really wants to be heroic, but he's just not. He's kind of bumbling. And he... There's nobody, his heroic brother and father are gone. And somebody says there's a dragon in this ruined castle. And so he, he doesn't believe them at all because he thinks where he lives is too boring for anything like that to happen. So he's like, sure, I'll go check it out. And it turns out there is a dragon. And he ends up getting sort of captured by the dragon. <laughs> so it's, it, it's a fun book. Uh, yeah, it's, it's probably half the length of Thread of Shadows. I, it's long enough to be called a novel but i would call it a short novel yeah i think it was somewhere in like the 220s maybe is that sound about right yeah i'm actually making the I, i've put off making the paperback of it till right now even though the ebook came out last december uh and yeah i think it came out at like 215 with the number of pages so yeah okay yeah and then and then the book that i read was the keeper's tale nope I, you read A Thread of Shadows. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I have a, it's literally written right right on my paper, and I wrote, and I just said A Keeper's Tale, which isn't even actually written where I was at. So, anyways, <laughs> sorry about that. So, then I read A Thread of Shadows, which I have to admit, at first, I, I, I'm reading along, and I'm reading along, and I was like, you know what? I just noticed there is no cussing, and no one has died horribly yet. And then I was like, well, huh, is this a conscious decision or is this just something that happened? And then that's when I asked you, but I was already, I think, like 46% in when I was like, well, is this maybe young adult? And that's when I, you know, looked up your, your thing on Noblebright and 
And I was like, oh, well, I guess there is a difference in this case. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, 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 it's probably misleading to say all noble right books are clean because I don't think they all are. Um, I just always end up writing PG. It doesn't matter like how much I try not to. <laughs> if I try to make it more gruesome or more whatever, it just sounds awful. It's just not, <laughs> it's just not how I write. So it's not so much a conscious decision as it's, um, it's really the only probably writing style I think I can put out there. Um, okay. But yeah, it's probably definitely like PG rated at the most. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just going before I get into starting to talk a bit more about that with the, the book nest finalist, did that like help your sales at all? Or, or was that just something that, like you said, you weren't even really all that aware of it. Yeah. So I found out that I got nominated for it. Um, when it, when it started, um, I think it did. So that happened in October was this really great month for me because there was a book nest contest. And, um, so that was for a keeper's tale. And then a thread of shadows is in Spiffbo and, um, it was named a semi-finalist, uh, I think late September. I'm not sure when anyway, around that time. Um, and then in October, I actually got a book bub, um, feature, which I don't know if you know what book bub is, but it's like the Holy grail of marketing, um, opportunities <laughs> for indie authors. Book bub has this enormous mailing list and they sell out deals every day and it's just a huge amount of visibility for your book to get one on there. So um, my the Tomkin and the Dragon story had a book bub too. So I have no idea which things contributed to what. Um, my month of October was just way better than any other month I've had. Um, and I think it's just sort of a combination of all three. I feel like I got a lot of good visibility just from being sitting next to so many of these other really great authors and all these things. You actually had a, a day that you were the number one fantasy uh, paid fantasy on Amazon. Is that correct? Yeah, in one of their categories. It might have been in Epic or in Sword and Sorcery. In one of those fantasy ones, yeah. And I think it was, it was up in the 100s overall on the Kindle store. So, yeah, it was really great. Yeah, that, was, that was the BookBub day. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Yeah, and I have only just peripherally heard of, of BookBub. <laughs> yeah, Um I know a lot of readers, you know, you just sign up and they send you an email daily with whatever genre you like. Um, it's a really curated list. They only send out books that have been really well reviewed and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I know after I my book was in BookBub, my brother sent me an email and he was like, you showed up in my email this morning. He's like, what? I, I read this every day. This is where I find all my new books. I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I know one of the reasons that I was looking at your book, well, both the the Book Nest and the Spiffbo, and then you also just had so many reviews. There's a lot of the 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 books that on Spiffbo that that you know have like five or six reviews. Do you just go about advertising for yourself a little bit more, or what what do you do? You think that that helps you out? I uh, would really like to be able to answer that with some great. <laughs> answer because I could just sell it you know if I really could come up with something that really worked I don't know I mean like everybody else I put a, a little blurb at the back of my book you know requesting re review if you liked it and I um the whole indie author community is really supportive and great they just they work together really well everyone's really helpful and I've met um, a good number of authors who I feel like write similarly to me 
And so we, if we read each other's books and like each other's books, you know, we do share them with our own audience. I have a newsletter and stuff that goes out. And so, um, I think that's part of it. I don't know. I, I, um, uh, almost all of the reviews on my books are organic as far as I know. I have an advanced reader group, too, that can have advanced copies of my books before they're published. But that's a pretty small number. Um, and so some of them will leave reviews. But, yeah, I just a lot of them seem to just sort of be organic, which is really awesome. I'm really glad because I feel like finding a way to get more reviews when you don't have any is really hard. <laughs> yeah, I think that... There's a lot of people that if you don't have enough reviews, just won't look at the book in in the first place. Yeah, and I'm guilty of that too. If I'm shopping on Amazon, I I, I always check out reviews. You know, if something has two reviews, I think, oh, I'll wait till more people have read it, <laughs> which is really hypocritical of me as an author. But yeah, well, I think before I was a reviewer, I was that kind of person that if it was on Kindle Unlimited, I was going to give it a shot. And now that I have such a structured reading schedule with with the podcast i i'm i'm far more uh, guilty of that now as well <laughs> yeah i i feel like i have way less reading time than i want to have so yeah i let other people weed through the stacks and when a book keeps showing up in places and people keep telling me how great it is then then it gets on the list yeah and i hope to get to it <laughs> so at the heart, I this is a book review podcast, even the uh, the interviews. So let's go ahead and actually talk about a little bit more in depth about the book that I have read. Okay, so your book then is, as you said, it's this noble bright. It's basically an epic fantasy tale. Um, we have a keeper, as you've described them. Kind of, I, I kind of looked at them as magician bards. Mm-hmm. And they, he's a keeper, but he has been out for a year or so trying to find a cure for his wife. And it's a little bit uh, unusual that a keeper would have a wife in the first place. I always, they're kind of the older, you know, wizard type, uh, scholar types, I guess. And then he ends up finding a group who is looking for something that he's looking for that would help him uh, figure out a cure for her. And we are going to have your uh, standard, we're going to have an elf, we're going to have a dwarf, and a couple of farm kids. Mm -hmm. What made you decide on the the group composition? Um, So these, again, all these these folks came from uh, those really early chapters. And um, I think I was just thinking about all those tropes from when I was younger and how much fun there was inside those tropes and they're done so badly so many times but I just thought you know can I recapture some of what's like fun and quirky my elves are not like um Tolkien elves like they're not like serious and I don't know important looking just more flighty and you know things like that and I think that's but, a perfect this word for Ida yeah totally and then uh, the dwarfs are just very dwarfy you know they're just kind of grumbly and uh I always kind of picture them with some kind of like Scottish accent and a big axe and (laughs) but um I don't know I just was really excited to have just one of each and just be able to see if I could flesh them out into a more (laughs) more human sounds wrong because they weren't human but a more complete character um throughout the course of a book take them from at the beginning 
when we meet them and we do sort of let them just sit in their stereotypes for a while. And then as you get to know them more and learn more things about them, you know, can they become more real and more complex and less stuck in what you would expect them to be. So yeah, that's what I was hoping to do with them. Um, and, <laughs> and, and I had a lot of fun. The elf and the dwarf, I just had a lot of fun with them actually. So, so Douglin <laughs> and Ada are always seem to be, uh, well, he's always grumpy with her and she's, always just basically telling him to to just calm down and i always like to talk about the magic systems it's one of the the things that i enjoy the most in a in a book series your magic system is pretty cool because it has some real serious consequences how what what made you decide that that it was going to have a physical consequence yeah so i decided i i get really bored in books where people can just do magic and they just seem to whatever, you know, just like making wishes and all these things just happen perfectly every time they wanted to. And so when I was trying to kind of get a sense of maybe what the rules for my magic would be, um, and back to the whole engineering nerd idea, this idea of just changing energy, moving it from one place to another, redirecting it or changing it up. Um, and it occurred to me that if you were trying to anytime as a human being, we try to push energy through our body, like electricity, it really hurts. And so, um, so yeah, so that's what is, however they sort of direct it, which is usually out of their hands or something like that. Um, if you do it too fast or too long, or you're just trying to do too much that they end up, yeah, getting sort of, it burns on the way out of their hands, which, um, keeps them from, you know, constantly just doing the stupid, you know, I'm going to light the fire with magic and I'm going to clean my dishes with magic. And, you know, because it, it's just not worth it. It's better just to wash it with your hands. (laughs) And does the magic system work the same for the Shadow Keepers? So with Shadow Keeper Gustav, who is traveling with them in the first place, he is trying to resurrect the the evil force that almost wiped out uh, humanity and the elves about a generation before. Or I really, yeah, I think it was like eight years earlier. Yeah. yeah. So. Does do the shadow keepers do they does the magic affect them the same way or are they doing a different kind of magic? Um, it does. I they do. Um, we didn't get into the other books. I think are going to get into it a little bit more. Um, the keepers are um, think that it should all be used with like living things. If you're going to use like a life energy of something, um, you should just use it. Uh, I don't know how to explain this. The, the shade seekers would like take the life out of somebody or something and like store it in like a rock or something that's not living and so this whole like shoving life into things that shouldn't have life and pulling life out of people and animals in order to use it for your own whatever are things that the keepers would be totally against doing like they would if they can they try and like pull the energy from plants or things like that around them they try not to they could take it from people you can take it from yourself, but of course, there's a huge limiting factor on if you take it from yourself, how much you can take before you die. So um, it, it doesn't, it's not very efficient. So to to do something with magic requires a decent amount of energy. So you have to be either willing to sacrifice something big to do it or or just not use magic to do whatever it is that you're doing. So clearly, obviously, we're we're talking about Alaric, and he's he's trying to save his wife, and so this is kind of where like his 
struggle is is that he's done some things to save his wife that the keepers don't approve of. But one thing, the keepers, some of them seem to always still be on his side. Is that just because he's such a good person? Or what's the reason? Is it just because the keepers are good people? Yeah, so I think that, um, I think a lot of the sort of guilt that Alaric had, that he sort of took on himself, he, he did go and there were these sort of pretty horrible people that he went to try and get the help. And they sort of hit, killed and poisoned other people with the poison that his wife has in order to see if they could find a cure. And so he just sort of let all that happen. He let all these other people be hurt for him to try and learn something. And he still didn't learn anything. And the guy who's the shield, who's the sort of the head of the keepers, um, he's just sort of one of those really good people who is a lot more understanding of humanity than I think people expect him to be. I think they expect him to be, you know, like you've done something wrong, you're in trouble, but he's really, he, there were scenes that there were in there that ended up getting cut from the book, but um, where he himself had enough of a, a past to realize that, you know, we all do things that we regret doing and that we wish we hadn't done. And that shouldn't sort of taint you for the rest of your life. There should be a way to move past that and to make your future decisions not based on, you know, guilt for what you've done in the past. So Alaric isn't sort of expecting that. I don't think, I think he's expecting to be um, reprimanded for doing things wrong and kicked out. And at least the guy who's the head of the keepers, he he's just not that judgmental. He's a lot more understanding of the fact that, especially when we're desperate for something we love or we're scared of something, that we do things that we later regret and that that's not a permanent thing that we have to carry with us for the rest of our lives. Well, yeah. And I, and I think that probably is the, the best way to describe the difference between what you're writing and more of the, maybe the grimdark novels that there is always still hope for redemption with, with the novel that you're writing as opposed to someone just being like, well, I screwed up and now I have just going to be evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to become worse than I ever could have imagined. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay, and then I will talk a little bit more about the book at, at the end of the episode. And But where are you planning on going with the story in the future? How many books do you want to have? And are you going to continue doing side books in the series? or? Um, I think so. So right now I'm writing the, the book that comes after, Thread of Shadows. So... Um, so this book, the next one, which doesn't have a title yet, because I hate titling books. It's the worst thing ever. Um, the, it follows Will, who's a different keeper, and he's been gone for a while, and no one's really sure where he went. Um, and he turns out he's sort of across the mountains with these nomadic people who have always been sort of the enemy of um, Queensland, which is where the keepers live. And so he's he's been over there for a while. And so we... Book two starts with him and why he's there and what he's doing. He's actually searching. His baby sister got kidnapped when he was young. And so he's been sort of searching for her for a long time. And so he's kind of on the trail of that way over in this other country. Um, but Alaric does show up and so does Douglin, the dwarf. He shows up too. Um, so some of the characters from book one do show up and join forces. But the whole book two does focus on a different keeper. I think that's kind of laced throughout the... Um, this book that that he's going to go looking for will I mean there's a lot of you know little little hints here and there that that's gonna happen yeah yeah so there'll be at least at least three books in the series and I 
each one is almost a standalone. I mean, like I think they'll link to each other and they'll build on each other, but that it's not going to be sort of an overarching trilogy or anything like that. But yeah, so at least three books. And I have written another short story that's a different story about a different keeper in history. And I, I think I'll just keep doing side stories because I have a lot of fun with those. They're shorter and easier. <laughs> They're just fun. Yeah, and do you plan on doing anything in any other series eventually, or is, is that just too far out to think about? It's way too far out to think about because I'm a slow writer. <laughs> so we'll work on this one till it ends or I get bored of it and then see where I go from there. And do you plan on staying self-published no matter what? Or if, if the right offer came, would you take it? I mean, sure, if like this is some unbelievable author offer ever came, I would take it. I really like the self-publishing. I love um, the indie community is really fun. I really like having my own schedule of when I want to do things and when I want to publish. Um, I love that I get to pick my own covers. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah, so I, I totally intend to keep self-publishing and see how see how well I can do it. Yeah, and I think in the internet age, as I've talked about with pretty much everybody that I've had on, including a couple who aren't self-published authors, that that they say that this day and age, unless you get just an amazing offer, you're just about as, as uh, in as good a shape to go self-published or maybe even uh, better off if you're willing to do the, the necessary marketing for your own book to, to actually go that route. Yeah, it seems um, the, the traditional publishing world is it's tough, man. They, it's, it's tough. They don't have a lot of, I don't know, chances to bring new authors into it. Once you are a new author there, you have such a limited time to be able to prove that you are a viable option for them before they have to move on. They just don't have the finances to just keep backing so many authors. So I think I have a few friends that are traditional or really trying to go traditional and uh, it's a tough road. So more power to them. I don't, I don't know that I have the patience for it. So I kind of I like letting the readers tell me whether uh, my books are worth publishing as opposed to having, you know, the whole gatekeepers of the publishers and the agents telling me whether my plot fits this season's choices or not. So <laughs> My wife is telling me that it is time to put my son to bed. So I want to thank you for coming on. And let's, uh, where can you be reached? Uh, my website is jaandrews.com. And my Facebook, I should know this, but you know, they don't let you exactly pick your exact Facebook name. Let's see on Facebook. It is J.A. Andrews author is my thing on Facebook. And I can send you links to those. Those are probably the two best places to find me. Okay. And then you also um, are J.A. Andrews writes on Twitter, correct? Yeah. Writer, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Twitter every once in a long while. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's, that's become, I, I didn't have a Twitter account until I started getting serious about trying to, to push my podcast a little bit more. And it is a rabbit hole that you can fall down and be stuck. <laughs> Facebook has turned into that for me. There's too much author stuff on Facebook. I can end up spending way too much time. So, <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Like I said, I'll have a little bit of a review at the end. And uh, is there anything else you'd like to say at the end? No, thanks so much for having me. This was really fun. This is my first podcast ever, and it was a blast. <laughs> yeah, I've had, uh, I think you're the second person now who this is their uh, first pod. My, my first one with M.D. Presley, who's also in Spiffbo. Yeah, I heard that podcast. That was a good one. Yeah, and that was his first interview as well. So 
uh, hopefully, maybe if, when uh, one of you guys makes it big, I can say that I was the first podcast you were on. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll mention you in our speeches whenever <laughs> we're getting all these awards. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so very much. All right. Thanks. All right. All right. I hope you guys all enjoyed the interview tonight. This is going to be a little bit hard of a book for me to rate and review tonight because it just was not my style of novel at all. I am the kind of person who prefers Mark Lawrence or George R.R. R. Martin. I like my characters to be <laughs> vicious and ruthless. The kind of person who, if their wife had been poisoned even accidentally by the villagers, would have probably wiped the villagers out. Since J.A. did not write a novel where that is the case. She wrote a Noble Bright as opposed to a Grim Dark novel. Obviously, it's not the kind of story that I would usually probably read. And it's also one that I'm going to have a hard time recommending to listeners who share my point of view. And most of the people who are listening to my podcast at this point are probably doing that because they like a little bit darker of a story. But where I think this book would work for you is if you are the kind of person who likes a Noble Bright, a happy book that isn't going to end with a huge body count, or number two, if you are a parent and you have a young teen who you want to get into fantasy, but who you don't quite want to get into the horrors of Mark Lawrence or George R.R. Martin, then this is probably the kind of novel that, that they would enjoy. It's going to have the your usual fantasy elements of the magic. It's going to have dwarves. It's going to have an elf. And it's going to have your uh, typical journey as they go and try to, to save people. Like we've talked about before, instead of the keeper just killing anyone who gets in his way or anyone who slows him down as he's trying to help his wife, he's going to help people along the way because that's just the way he is and the way the story is written. I know that if Jorg had been trying to cure someone who was necessary to him in uh, Prince of Thorns, he would have just killed anyone who tried to slow him down. So I hope that you enjoyed listening to the interview, and I know I gave you just a very brief review at the end, but just real quick, I did think that it was a well-written book, and if you are the kind of person that thinks that you'll like a... Noble Bright book, uh, something different from the usual fare that I often peddle on this podcast, then go ahead and give this a shot. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Bye.